From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening, America. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today. It's my pleasure to be with you as we begin this Thanksgiving week all across the Fruited Plain. Today on the program, a group of medical associations and doctors have sued the Food and Drug Administration, claiming their approval of chemical abortion drugs was motivated by politics, not science. We'll talk about that lawsuit with an attorney from the Alliance Defending Freedom who is bringing that lawsuit. In addition, 22 state attorneys general have asked the Biden administration to end COVID vaccine mandates. One of those attorneys general, Montana's Austin Knutson, will join us to talk about that effort. Also, the war in Ukraine is increasingly costly and unsuccessful for Russia. The international community continues to be concerned about the threats of nuclear war and potentially a nuclear meltdown of a nuclear plant in Ukraine as well. How concerned should we be? Chuck Holton will join us from Kiev for that conversation. But first, our headlines for today. Last Wednesday, 12 Republican senators joined with Chuck Schumer and the Senate Democrats in voting to allow the debate over the so-called Respect for Marriage Act to make that move forward. But as Utah Republican Senator Mike Lee explained to Tony on Washington Watch last week, the battle regarding the Respect for Marriage Act is not yet over, as there's still time for any three of the 12 to reverse course when the Senate returns next Monday. Now, Senator Lee has proposed an amendment for the legislation that protects religious liberty, and last week he sent a letter co-signed by 20 of his Senate colleagues urging the 12 Republican senators to oppose cloture on the legislation unless his amendment is added to the bill. Joining me now to discuss this and more news of the day is U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler. She serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the House Agriculture Committee. She is also the chairwoman of the House Values Action Team, and she represents Missouri's 4th Congressional District. Congresswoman Hartzler, good to see you today. Good to see you, too. Now, we've talked about this quite a bit, but tell us from your perspective, why is this so-called Respect for Marriage Act, which many of us are referring to as the Disrespect for Marriage Act, such a threat to religious liberty? Well, they tried to carve out a religious exemption for churches that conduct uh, same-sex marriage ceremonies, but there is no protection for ordinary Christians who are in the workplace uh, to protect them and their religious beliefs. And so if you are a Baronel Stutzman who has a flower shop or if you're Jack Phillips who has a, a producing cakes, uh, you are going to be forced to participate, and it does away with their religious rights. It does away uh, with the rights of a business person to be able to have a, a male and female bathroom and to force them to have to co provide coverage uh, for sex change operations in their business insurance plans. I mean, all of these concerns are not addressed in this bill, and it is a disrespect for marriage because we know that marriage is between a man and a woman. It's the best uh, set up for a children to have the opportunity to have both a mom and a dad. And it's very disappointing that the 12 senators voted like they did. But I am hopeful that as the American people speak up and contact these 12 senators, that at least three of them will change their minds and will not codify this terrible ruling uh, by the Supreme Court and trample on our religious freedoms. Now, it's curious to me that the proponents of this bill would uh, claim that they are respecting religious freedom by telling clergy, members of the clergy, pastors and others, that they do not have to perform same-sex marriages. Now, by most people's understanding, the First Amendment guaranteed that right back when the Constitution was written. So this feels a bit like telling Americans that you do not have to uh, house and quarter troops if you do not want to in exchange for the same-sex marriage law. Why are we supposed to feel good about something that was written in the Constitution back in 1789? Oh, that, that is so true. And they, they act like they're being so magnanimous in this bill to to protect our pastors, so not force them to uh, carry out same-sex marriage uh, marriage ceremonies. And yet they trample on the freedom of everyone else in this country. 
and the rights that are enshrined in the First Amendment. And so it's a very sad situation, and it's deceiving, uh, and people need not be deceived by this. It is a disrespect for marriage, and it is very uh, it's going to continue to trample on the freedoms of, of Christians to believe and to act and live according to their faith in this country if this passes. Now, we, we've talked about the disappointing vote last week in the Senate. There is another opportunity next week. Do you have any sense that there's been movement in the Senate among the 12 Republicans that originally voted to uh, move this bill along? I'm, I have not uh, talked to them or have some knowledge of that. I certainly hope they will step up and do the right thing. There's a couple of members who were chairman of the Senate Values Action Team, like I am the chairman of the House Values Action Team. And we are supposed to be leaders on behalf of faith, family, and freedom. And by family, I mean the traditional family, the one that has stood the test of time for thousands and thousands of years and st stand up for faith and religious freedom. And so I hope and pray that they will reconsider next week and do the right thing uh, for the American public. Now, for those who are watching and listening, if you want to do something, and we hope that you do, especially if you're in states like Iowa, North Carolina, uh, Missouri, text the word marriage to 67742 to get information on what you can do right now. Text the word marriage to 67742. Now, Congresswoman Hartzler, I want to switch topics uh, to the border with you. Title 42 is now slated to end exactly one month from now. What's the impact of that going to be? But we're going to see an increase in the invasion that is occurring at the southern border, and it's devastating. Under the Biden administration, we've always seen, already seen over 4 million illegal migrants cross over the border into our country. We know and have caught 98 individuals who are on the terrorist watch list, and there are hundreds of thousands of individuals who have not been caught uh, that the Border Patrol did not encounter, but yet they know that they have crossed over into our country. And we do not know uh, how many terrorists are in that group of people. So we have a very serious situation, very dangerous situation, not only because of the terrorists, but the record amount of drugs that are coming across the border. And with this Title 42 uh, done away with, it's just going to exacerbate the problem. And even more individuals will be coming over, crossing illegally into our country. Despite the numbers that you mentioned there, there still seems to be disagreement about the nature of the problem. Congressman Bishop recently had a chance to ask Secretary Mayorkas about the level of security at the border. Here's what he had to say. Let's play clip one. Secretary Mayorkas, do you continue to maintain that the border is secure? Yes, and we are working day in and day out to enhance its security, Congressman. Right. Congresswoman Hartzler, what's your reaction to that? Oh, it, he's he's wrong. He is dead wrong. And it's sad. We've had over a, a thousand illegal migrants that have actually died crossing the border. But it is not a secure border. When you have over 15 straight months of over 150,000 illegal migrants crossing, eight straight months, over 200,000. This is not a secure border. We have record amount of fentanyls coming across the southern border. We had record amount of Americans die of a fentanyl overdose last year, over 100,000 Americans died. I was visiting with a Vietnam veteran the other day, and we were talking about the, the loss of over 55,000 Americans in the Vietnam War and brothers in arms and what that meant to him personally. And he said to me how tragic that was, but he said, Representative, think about it. We lost 55,000 of my fellow brothers in arms in Vietnam. We lost 100,000 last year due to the fentanyl. He says, where is the outrage? Where are the protests? Where are the, where is the people encountering a government officials protesting about that and the loss of American lives like we were met with when we came back? And I thought he had a very powerful point. To that point, uh, there have been, in fiscal year 2021, 1.7 million migrant encounters, 2022, uh, the fiscal year ending 2022, 2.3 million encounters with illegal immigrants. If this is a secure border, it makes one wonder what an insecure border would look like. Now, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer took this issue on as well. He expressed concern about the declining birth rates and suggested that our immigration policy should be affected by that. Let's play clip two. 
Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Congresswoman, what's your reaction to the idea that our goal is to get a citizenship for everyone who is in the country illegal presently? Well, it's not, he talks about it's the only way to increase workers. We do have a shortage of workers, but what we need to do is embrace the lives that are uh, right now being snuffed out by abortion. And he and his party have been leaders promoting abortion, and they're so extreme. They support it up to the moment of birth. And we have lost 63 million Americans at the hands of abortionists across this country since Roe versus Wade. Think about how many workers, how many individuals would be here today if we had not had abortion. And yet he continues to double down on how important it is that we have the ability and we encourage uh, abortion. And uh, then he promotes the illegal immigration. I do think we need reform on immigration, but we need to embrace people to come here legally. And the first step is to secure the border. And then we can uh, talk about reforming our system and, uh, and allow Americans who want to follow the laws and respect our Constitution to come here. We welcome them. But he should also welcome American lives and quit encouraging uh, snuffing out of those lives through abortion. You're right about that. And there seems to be some irony here because America, of course, is a pro-immigration place. And Americans are pro-immigration because uh, most of us are at some point in our, at least in our heritage, immigrants to America. But we have this strange convergence of issues because the same week that Senator Schumer is working so hard to redefine uh, the institution of marriage, and he highlights the problem of a culture that doesn't value marriage and family and children and that heritage, he's saying, well, the, the problem uh, is not that we're not having enough children. We just need to import more people. Uh, are, is that really the solution to the problem that he's identified? No, not at all. We need to encourage the people who are uh, certainly we need to uh, embrace life and quit promoting abortion. Uh, but then also we need to look at why Americans aren't working. And this is a, is a problem. We need to, uh, you know, his party and his president passed legislation to pay people to stay home during the pandemic. And that is still having ramifications. It caused supply chain uh, shortages and people uh, not being in the workplace. And there's still is a problem with that. So we need to look at what government uh, incentives there are to encourage people to stay home versus getting to back to work. That's something that should be looked at. Uh, but then also workplace, workforce development and education. Uh, but also we have a drug problem. And that is something that we need to address. Too many people uh, are on drugs and we need to work at that. We have a shortage of child care workers, and so maybe we could en encourage that uh, some more. There's a lot of other policies that could be and should be looked at beyond just embracing what he is promoting. Congresswoman Hartzler, we are out of time. It is a multifaceted problem, to be sure, and we will continue this conversation. Thanks for being with us today. Beth, thank you. Stay with us on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible.
First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you're with us. A group of national medical associations and doctors have filed a lawsuit against the Food and Drug Administration claiming that for political reasons, the government agency illegally approved chemical abortion drugs that actually harm girls and women. According to the lawsuit, the FDA ignored its legal obligation to safeguard the health, safety, and welfare of girls and women when they approved these drugs. Joining me now to discuss this is Julie Marie Blake, Senior Counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, which is representing the consortium behind the lawsuit. Julie, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me. Now, start off by telling us why your clients believe the FDA approved chemical abortion drugs for political reasons rather than medical ones. Well, we represent uh, OBs, emergency room doctors, medical associations, the doctors who every day care for women mm. and see the harms of these dangerous chemical abortion drugs in their practice. So the FDA first approved these drugs as Bill Clinton was leaving office. And the FDA never followed the law when it uh, approved these drugs in the first place. Uh, for example, uh, federal statutes passed by Congress say before you can approve a new drug and allow it to be given to teenagers, to uh, girls who are still going through puberty, you have to at least have a study of it on a pediatric population to make sure it doesn't affect them and going through puberty differently uh, from anyone else. And the FDA never did that before approving chemical abortion drugs, uh, which are usually used in the first trimester um, up to uh, 10 weeks pregnancy uh, on teenage girls. Mm. Um, they also said that pregnancy is an illness um, because you can't approve FDA drugs or something uh, that isn't an illness. But pregnancy is an illness. It's a normal, natural part of life. And of course, any abortion drug always takes an innocent human life. Now, those are some interesting points, and I'll unpack a couple of these with you. This goes back to the Clinton administration, you say. Why has it taken this long for this lawsuit to be brought if the, if the obligation to do these studies uh, was triggered in the 90s and that still hasn't happened? You know, that is because the FDA has a very problematic requirement that says, if we make a bad decision, you can't just go to court and say, hey, you're, what you're doing is against the law. You have to go to the agency and ask the agency to change your mind. And so our clients, um, the medical associations, these doctors went to the FDA back then and said, hey, 
you don't have the science here. You, you put politics in front of science and hurt women and girls. Yeah. Um, and what the FDA did was stonewall us. They sat on our petition for 14 years. And then the same day they finally got around to denying the petition, they then changed the rules and removed the safeguards on these drugs that would have prevented them from harming women and girls even more and said, now you can have it with a, you know even fewer protections. So we went back, we filed a new citizen petition. And then um, just this year, the Biden administration uh, again denied our petition. So we finally are done with the stonewalling from the agency. We finally can go to court. And we're confident that once we get our claims in front of a judge, that he'll say, hey, you didn't follow the law. You didn't follow the science. Uh, and it's time to withdraw these drugs from the marketplace. Now, Julie, what are some of the dangers to girls and women from these drugs that you say uh, were approved without following the proper process? Well, chemical abortion drugs are usually used um, the first trimester up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, there's, there's two drugs. The first one starves the baby of nutrients in the womb and induces the baby's death. The second drug uh, induces uh, labor, and it's not just a heavy period. It's not just a little bit of blood. It's um, the type of thing that most women and girls are utterly unprepared for uh, in terms of the amount of uh, pain, which can be excruciating. And then, of course, many women and girls are unprepared uh, to see the um, the fully formed uh, baby in some cases, uh, often already forming um, feet. At, and the problem with how these chemical abortion drugs have been approved is that there are serious risks. They're um, unsafe to women. Obviously, they always take a baby's life. But um, even compared to surgical abortion, the complication rate is much higher. In, in fact, as many as one in five women seek medical attention after taking chemical abortion drugs. And that can be for hemorrhaging, which is uncontrolled bleeding. Uh, it can be for uh, life-threatening infections like sepsis um, if they don't pass all of the baby's remains. And of course, because the FDA has no safeguards on it, this is mail-order abortion. It's completely unsupervised. There's no abortionist there with you, uh, no one to go to if there's a problem. So what you have are just women and girls alone, you know, picture a college girl alone in a bathroom, uh, bleeding in excruciating pain. And, and who helps in that situation? You go to your local emergency room, mm -hmm. if, you know, if, if you're lucky, uh, you go to your OB. And that's who we represent, the emergency room doctors, the OBs who see these women and help them. Uh, one of our doctors um, sees girls who are just completely unprepared, freaked out, grieving just for the quote-unquote normal use of these drugs. Another one of our doctors sees women who, um, if they don't seek medical attention, waited another few days, uh, really could have lost their lives because of the risk of infection from these dangerous drugs. They, they were never safe for anyone, and they should never have been approved in the first place. Julie, does the FDA see these risks that you've just described in, in terrible detail as just an acceptable risk of the drug, or they deny that these risks are real? Well, the, the FDA, uh, I think, hasn't wanted ever to look at the science and certainly didn't want to learn about it since that uh, the initial approval. Uh, one of the problems in the Obama administration when it changed the safeguards is it told people, hey, you know, adverse events, problems with these drugs, I don't want to hear it. Unless somebody died, and our doctors are trying to make sure that no, no one uh, dies from taking these drugs, no women and girls, um, unless it dies, we don't want to hear about any of these complications or adverse reports. So they're deliberately not trying to follow the science. They're not trying to collect the data. And so um, even though the best studies out there that, that our doctors have been putting together uh, shows that one in five women will seek medical attention after taking these drugs. And these are the most common form of abortion in America. More than half of abortions in America are used to these chemical abortion drugs. 20% is a ridiculously high rate of, of needing needing medical treatment. In about 20 seconds, Julie, what are you hoping to accomplish out of this lawsuit? Well, the FDA has a responsibility to protect the health and safety of all Americans, including women and girls. It's time to follow the law, put politics aside, and protect them. And we're asking the court to order the FDA to withdraw these drugs entirely from the market. Julie Marie, right? uh, Julie Marie Blake, excuse me, Alliance Defending Freedom, thanks so much for your time and your advocacy on this issue, as always. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.
Coming next, a coalition of over 20 state attorneys general have filed a petition to repeal the COVID shot mandate for health care workers. We'll be joined by one of those attorneys general when we come back. Stay with us right here on Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. So grateful that you are with us. A coalition of 22 state attorneys general have called on the Biden administration to withdraw its vaccine mandate for health care workers. The attorneys general filed a petition under the Administrative Procedures Act requesting the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to take immediate action to repeal its shot mandate. Joining me now to discuss this is the leader of the petition, Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen. Attorney General Knudsen, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, thanks for having me, Joseph. We're glad to have you and uh, grateful for your leadership on this. Your position is that the mandate violates the rights of healthcare workers. Tell us why. Well, there's several different theories here, but I mean, one of the biggest ones is this is just completely arbitrary and capricious. Uh, the administration did not go through the proper notice and comment period. They just rolled this rule out as an emergency uh, because somehow they felt they had the, the authority mm-hmm. to do that. They don't. Uh, but really what you've got here is a situation where this rule is really hurting healthcare workers. It's cost us a lot of healthcare workers' jobs here in Montana. We've had 10 critical healthcare facilities, uh, s- small nursing nursing home facilities, Skilled nursing home facilities closed just this year in Montana, which we predicted when this rule came through. This is exactly what happened. Um, but look, on top of that, the science just doesn't back this up. It never has. The COVID vaccine, we now know, the science shows us, doesn't really stop transmission. It doesn't stop you from getting COVID. Uh, there's a myriad of reasons here that we could just keep talking about. But at the, at the end of the day, this is costing us jobs. Now, to your point about what we have learned, and admittedly at the beginning of this pandemic, there's a lot we did not know. But in recent months, the CDC has acknowledged exactly what you just said, that the COVID vaccine does not stop the transmission of the COVID virus. President Biden himself has said that the pandemic is over. If those things are true, why do you think the administration is continuing to enforce these vaccine mandates that uh, their own information indicates does not accomplish the goal that they were implemented for? 
That's a great question. I wish I knew the answer to it. I mean, the, the smart thing to do here is make this go away, take the pressure off these, these, these healthcare yeah. facilities, especially the ones that are being hurt in small states like Montana. Um, but, you know, I don't think the administration is able to do that. I, I think there's such a level of pride here. I think there is such a level of ownership that they're going to keep doubling down on this uh, because if they admit they were wrong here, they have to admit that they didn't have the authority to do what they did here. Uh, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's flagrantly unconstitutional. I think it's a clear violation of the Tenth Amendment. Um, but I just I, I, I'm not confident that the administration is just going to roll over on this. Now, you and 21 other attorneys general have requested that the Biden administration withdraw the health care, the vaccine requirement for health care workers. Are you prepared to do more than that if they uh, politely decline your request? Absolutely. We will politely file suit, as we've done in the past. Uh, you know, we've we've shown that we're willing to keep this fight going. Uh, in, in multiple different circuits, you, you've got yeah. state attorneys general who've stepped up and done that for the last year. We're hopeful that they'll do the right thing yeah. here, which is why we've asked for for a new petition. Um, you know, they 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 can they can put the toothpaste back in the tube here. The question is, will they? I'm yeah. I'm not hopeful, but they certainly can do the right thing. Well, and you indicated just a moment ago that this just might be a, a matter of pride, not wanting to admit they were wrong. However, these mandates were uh, done under claimed emergency of, uh, authority. Now, if there's an emergency, it's uh, it should be assumed that that emergency at some point would end. Have they given any indication that if this is not the time to withdraw these vaccine mandates, when would that time be? No, they've given us no indication. And, and, and here's how crazy this is, Joseph. I mean, the, this, this interim final rule was passed to fight the Delta variant. Every medical expert in the country will tell you we're not dealing with the Delta variant anymore. The Delta variant is not the predominant strain that we're seeing of COVID. We're dealing with the Omicron variant. It's milder, but it's more transmissible. So by its own terms, this interim final rule should be thrown out because it purports to be an, an emergency rule to deal with the Delta variant, which is not what we're dealing with anymore. Now, you talked about the number of healthcare workers that the state of Montana and other states have lost because of this, because of the mandate, the vaccine mandate. Do we have reason to believe that they're ready to join the workforce again as soon as this uh, vaccine mandate is lifted? You know, I certainly hope so. I, I can tell you that it was for a long time the number one call I got from my office, or excuse me, to my office, was from healthcare workers across the state of Montana. Look, we're a very rural state. We've got small communities with maybe a single hospital and maybe a nursing home in an entire county. And you had a lot of these people that just said, look, you're not going to force me to take this vaccine. I will quit. That's devastating to a small community where you've got maybe 15, 16, 17 skilled nurses working in this facility. You lose just a couple of those workers and that facility gets to the point where they have to close the doors. That is exactly what happened in Montana. We've lost 10, 10 nursing homes just this year as a result of this mandate. So I hope they come back to work. And that's the tragic story in this. You are, of course, interested in the rights of the healthcare workers, uh, but that's trickling down in a very real sense to just people who need health care in rural parts of America. Attorney General Austin Knutson, thanks so much for your time today and for your advocacy uh, for the rights of all of us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coming up next, Chuck Holton joins us from Kiev, Ukraine, to discuss the latest from the war there. How concerned should we be about the outbreak of nuclear war? Stay with us right here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. 
men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Website is TonyPerkins.com. Last week, a missile struck a village in Poland near the Ukraine border, killing two Polish citizens. Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky insisted Russia was behind the attack, a claim that U.S. intelligence has since disputed, suggesting the missile was an errant Ukrainian anti-missile strike. Had Russia attacked NATO member Poland, as Zelensky claimed, a NATO response would be required, nuclear powers against one another. When it comes to a nuclear response, Russian President Vladimir Putin has said that all options are on the table. Is nuclear war, once considered a relic of the previous century's Cold War, a renewed possibility? Joining me now from Kiev to discuss this and other news from Ukraine is freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton. Chuck, welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to be here. And before we get going here, I want to point out that you are on the ground in Kiev dealing with rolling blackouts, rolling power shortages, and so that affects Internet connections and a whole bunch of things. So those are the dynamics, and we appreciate you being here with us. But if we experience some technological difficulties, that is the nature of what we are dealing with. But, Chuck, before we discuss the bigger picture of nuclear weapons, just tell us uh, what you're seeing on the ground there in Ukraine. Well, we have been dealing with these rolling blackouts for uh, a couple of weeks now, as Russia continues to try to strike the electrical grid. Kiev is doing much better than most of the outlying areas. There are over 1,100 villages that have no power at all. And down in Kherson, where I have just returned from, uh, they have no water, no heat, no power, uh, and no internet connection to speak of down there at all. So the uh, government has instituted a, a voluntary uh, uh, given people the chance to to leave voluntarily. It's not get a, a, a mandatory evacuation, but uh, they're just giving people the chance to leave. They got the trains running down there, so that uh, a lot of people didn't leave to begin with because 
they didn't have a vehicle and they didn't have the money to leave. So the government has offered that now as a way for people to get out. Are people taking advantage of that offer? Uh, Ukrainian winters are notoriously uh, difficult. We're heading into winter there without power. Are people leaving? Uh, a few, but not as you might think. Most people have done the leaving that they're going to do, and uh, many left at the beginning. And then when they realized that Russia wasn't going to take over in three days, they came back. Kiev actually now has more people in it than it did before the war started because many people have left those outlying areas and come into Kiev because we do have better infrastructure uh, here. So, for example, at my apartment here in downtown Kiev, we have rolling blackouts a couple times a day for a couple hours each. Uh, but with a few batteries and that sort of thing, we can keep working uh, without too much trouble. And they have worked hard to keep the power on for the businesses so that they don't shut down the economy. And that's been helpful as well. Now, Chuck, you just mentioned Kherson, which had originally, which early in the conflict was captured by the Russians, has recently been retaken by Ukrainian forces. How would you describe the status of the conflict at this point? The Russians continue to lose and lose badly. Uh, they uh, have failed at just about everything that they've tried to do in the last uh, several months. Uh, the Ukraine, uh, a lot of experts are saying that, uh, that both sides will sort of settle down now that winter is here and sort of uh, solidify their lines over the winter and pick it up again in the spring. The Ukrainians uh, say absolutely not. We are not going to give up the momentum that we have. Uh, they say that they're going to keep pushing and indeed, they are doing that. They're moving forces even now out to the areas of where, where the heaviest fighting is. Uh, they outnumber the Russians now on the battlefield uh, and in some important places like Bakhmut. They outnumber the Russians something like four to one. Uh, so the Russians are not going to take ground uh, with those kinds of numbers. The Ukrainians have uh, got more tanks in the fight now than the Russians do. Uh, they have received a lot of support from the West, obviously, and that is coming in very handy. And the Ukrainians are fighting smarter as well. The, the Russians have really engaged in this war against the civilian populace since day one. Uh, the Ukrainians have been much more judicious about what they strike. They have used their combat power against military targets and strategic targets that have actually knocked out the Russians' ability to fight and to supply their forces. And so that means that the Ukrainians have steadily been able to push them back since uh, the counteroffensive really began in earnest uh, for Kherson just a, a couple of months ago. Now, Chuck, for months, it seems that momentum has been on the side of the Ukrainians. We've heard reports recently of a, a potential offered peace to the Russians where they would be able to keep Crimea, but otherwise they would retreat. Uh, mixed signals about how the Ukrainians feel about that. But is Russia, in light of the fact that they're really on their heels in this conflict, are they just trying to save face so that they get something out of this conflict they can claim victory for? Yes, they're desperately seeking an off-ramp, I would say, right now, but uh, they can't afford to look like they're seeking an off-ramp. And so they continue to dump forces into the fight. Uh, in terms of losses, they are sustaining somewhere upwards of 500 dead Russian soldiers every day, uh, sometimes even as many as 1,000 every day. And those are just not sustainable losses. Uh, so many of the troops that are being captured are being captured with uh, World War One or World War Two era, uh, no training, don't want to be there, very poor morale, and so it just gives the Ukrainians more and more impetus to keep going. Now, as far as that offered uh, ceasefire with the offering to keep Crimea, that certainly wasn't the Ukrainians that did that. The Ukrainians are saying, we've got the momentum on our side. Why would we stop now? Why would we offer a, a, a ceasefire now when we literally are watching the Russian army collapse and fall apart in front of our forces. Uh, so they're going to keep pushing as long and as hard as they can and try to solidify their position before they get anywhere close to being willing to sit down for peace talks. 
That being said, and that is encouraging news, uh, but there are significant geopolitical implications for this. Uh, on Saturday, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin discussed part of that. He shared his concern that Russia's invasion of Ukraine could lead to further instability. Let's play clip one. And Russia's invasion offers a preview of a possible world of tyranny and turmoil, turmoil that none of us want to live in. And it's an invitation to an increasingly insecure world haunted by the shadow of nuclear proliferation. Chuck, what's your reaction to that? Um, it, it's obvious that the administration is um, also seeking an off-ramp. They, they are putting some pressure on the Zelensky administration to find a way to put an end to this. As a matter of fact, the deputy foreign minister said in an interview uh, just yesterday, I think, that uh, they believe that this could be over by February. Uh, this this whole thing could be finished by then. Um, now, obviously, the Russians are going to have a vote in that. And I, I don't know that the Russians are willing uh, you know, when I was in the military, we were taught that you shoot the enemy not until you think he's dead. You shoot him until he thinks he's dead. Well, the Russians don't think they're dead yet, but they probably died six months ago. They just haven't laid down yet. And um, because of that, they're going to have to get to the point where the pain is so unbearable for the Russian people that they demand an end to this war. And that's the only thing that's really going to stop this. And what you described there is a very desperate situation, and the concern is that desperation might lead the Russians, and specifically President Putin, to do something dramatic. He has threatened, veiled threats about nuclear war, the use of nuclear weapons in the past. Of course, that hasn't happened yet. Everyone hopes that's avoided. Do you think that the desperation of the Russian people and the situation you've described there makes nuclear weapons more likely? I think what you have to ask yourself is what would that benefit Russia or the Russian people? And the answer is it, it wouldn't. It, the, the minute that Vladimir Putin pushes that button, he knows that his reign has come to an end. And it's very likely that his whole country turns into a molten slag heap. Uh, so even the use of tactical nuclear weapons, which have never been used before in, in combat, he doesn't have the forces that are capable of Taking ground, it wouldn't. It would actually deny his forces the same ground. Uh, and a tactical nuclear weapon is not really a game changer in this uh, scenario, in this uh, sort of uh, land warfare uh, scenario that we've got here. Uh, so, what we're looking at is he he can only hurt himself with the uh, with nuclear weapons, with the use of nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons are designed to be a deterrent. And that, and they function pretty well as a deterrent, okay. but they don't function very well as a as a matter of warfare because uh, using a, a tactical or strategic nuclear weapon is not going to bring NATO to its knees. It's not going to bring the United States to its knees, and the only thing it would do is uh, cause Russia to be. Uh, it would it would drag the rest of the West into this war, and then the war would be over very very quickly. The Secretary Austin, again, over the weekend, he said that the existence, just the presence of nuclear wars is still having an impact on this uh, particular conflict. And he's concerned that they might, that the nuclear weapons might uh, create a kind of hunting license that other autocratic nations could use. Let's play clip two, and then I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Putin's fellow autocrats are watching. And they could well conclude that getting nuclear weapons would give them a, a hunting license of their own. And that could drive a dangerous spiral of, on, of nuclear proliferation. Chuck Holton, do you think it's a fair concern that uh, nations could see the uh, having nuclear weapons as a, an essentially a license to invade their neighbors without the kind of response that they might otherwise get? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, this is the time for men to stand up and be men. This is a time for people to stare Vladimir Putin in the face and say, do your worst. Go for it, buddy. Uh, because it is very clear, both to the West and to Russia now, that Russia's army is not the second most powerful army in the world and could not stand up to the Western armies for even a week. They would likely be 
trampled, be absolutely crushed inside of a, a inside of a, a month or so, uh, if they did decide to go to war with NATO. And we've seen that because we have this laboratory called Ukraine, where American and Western weapons have been going up against uh, Soviet era and Russian era weapons, uh, and have been absolutely dominating on the battlefield. A, a, a smaller uh, force with fewer weapons. Uh, as far as these Western weapons go, like, for example, we've given them like 16 HIMARS for, uh, for, for use against a 600-kilometer front. Uh, and yet those, six, those 16 HIMARS have been an absolute game changer against the Russians. The, the uh, surface-to-air missiles, the anti-missile uh, uh, capability that we've been giving to the Ukrainians is proving itself over and over again. The Russians are shooting... Uh, missiles at Kiev every single day, and uh, virtually all of them get shot down. About 80% now are getting shot down, uh, and virtually all of the drones that they send into uh, at Kiev get shot down. So anywhere that they have the technology uh, from the West, the West's technology is winning. So both sides know that. And uh, so backing down, the, when I hear people in America say, you know, we can't afford to push Vladimir Putin to, to use nuclear weapons, like I say, Vladimir Putin knows that his reign comes to an end the moment he pushes that button. And it's not that simple anyway, because it's not just Vladimir Putin making the decision. There are other people that have to be involved in that process. And there have there's word from uh, Western intel that the, uh, the, the Russians have been ordered to do at least three nuclear tests in the northern part of Russia, and none of those three have gone off. Now, we don't know if they didn't go off because of uh, they were duds or they were poorly maintained or because people refused to push the button. Either way, it does not show, it does not reflect well on Russia's capabilities, and Russia knows that. So, again, they're desperate for an off-ramp. That's why you see them starting to talk about peace talks and that sort of thing. Chuck, one other underrated nuclear threat in all of this. Uh, people are familiar, likely, with Chernobyl, which is a Ukrainian power plant that melted down in 1986. A much larger nuclear plant that it, that's also in Ukraine is called Zaporzhia. It's in a town, and Zaporzhia is a town that has been uh, targeted frequently by the Russians. There's com some concern that that plant might be struck by Russian missiles, in addition to that, these power plants rely on uh, electricity from local from neighboring towns to be able to cool the towers. Uh, what is your understanding of the threat to that plant that wouldn't be nuclear war, but just a nuclear meltdown that would uh, significantly affect the area? Yeah, that is the bigger problem, and I think that uh, this is where it's one of Russia's only real bargaining chips because right now they control the area around the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. Now, the town of Zaporizhia has been getting pounded for months, but it's a very large city of over a million people. Uh, and so uh, when you hear the Zaporizhia is being shelled, that doesn't necessarily mean that the nuclear plant is being shelled. Although there, were, there was a close call today uh, where somebody, they don't know if it was Ukrainian or Russian, uh, fired a missile that hit close to that plant that the, and the IAEA director came out and said, you guys are playing with people's lives. You guys are playing with fire because if this thing uh, gets cut off from its electrical supply, from the electrical generators that are keeping it cool right now, yeah. uh, it could very well cause a meltdown that would dwarf Chernobyl's meltdown back in 1986. Chuck Holton, thank you so much for your time and your update. That is a point of prayer. To be sure, we will continue this conversation down the road. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. And thank you, friends, for being with us. We will see you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.